You're listening to the Touch of Flavor podcast, episode 83. You're talking about putting your fuck parts in my head where my brain lives. You know, in nature, only a handful of creatures made for life. But isn't that like cheating? We can't do this 24 hours a day, seven days a week. Why not? The safety word is banana. It is so refreshing to be with someone who likes to fuck outside the box. This is the Touch of Flavor podcast. Dating and relationship advice by kinksters for kinksters. Join us as we tackle BDSM, sex, non-monogamy, and how to build extraordinary relationships in an ordinary world. And now your hosts, Cassie and Rigel. Hey everyone, it's Cassie. Rigel won't be joining us this time. He's out traveling, but we got so many questions the last time we put out that we ended up having to split it into two episodes. So for those of you who have been patiently waiting for your answers, here they are. So let's dive in. Okay, so our first question is from someone who wanted to stay anonymous, and actually they had quite a few questions, so we're going to do theirs first because it was a couple of group of questions, and they are 25 years old from Michigan. My partner has another girlfriend besides me and considers both of us his primary. It's my first poly relationship, and it's been hard for me, but I'm learning. I've gotten to a point where I can hang out with the both of them, and I don't mind seeing them kiss or hold hands. My partner wants to be able to basically do anything short of having sex, cuddling with one or both of us and such. This is not something I'm okay with at the moment. I feel excluded easily when he pays attention to her, but it's important to him, so I'm working on it. I don't know if this is relevant information, but her and I don't really get along. He also wants to be able to go to kink parties with both of us, and my metamor says she doesn't have a problem with seeing him with me. I don't want to see him seen with her, though. His scenes are always very sexually charged, even if there's no sexual activity. I don't feel comfortable seeing him be sexual with somebody else that he's romantically involved with. So far, this meant whenever they both want to go out, I have to stay home. But if I want to go out, they think it's unreasonable for me to ask one of them to stay home. He's not willing to not play with her if she's there too, even occasionally. I'm running out of ideas and compromises. So the questions. When you're poly and kinky, do you have to learn to see your partner be sexual with other partners? Is it a normal thing for him to expect me to see him be sexual with his other partner? Do I just have to be okay with it? Okay, so to answer those set of questions, the answer is you don't have to ever see your partner be sexual with another partner. This is where boundaries come in. Now, they're you kind of hit the nail on the head when you said compromise, right? So maybe there are times that the two of you go out that he doesn't go out with his other partner. Or perhaps uh, you go to a venue that's big enough where you can go off and hang out with friends and spend time with them while they play in a, in a different area that, that 
three of you sit down and have a conversation around how are we going to keep these spaces separate? There's a difference between I don't want to see my partner play with somebody and I don't ever want to acknowledge it or I expect them never to play with this person. And that's not what you're asking your partner to do. So with that in mind, you can come up with a lot of compromise for the three of you where it might work better. So again, going back to that venue situation, I actually had clients at one point that um, her brother was kinky as well. And she didn't want to ask her brother, this is her biological brother, not to come to play parties. She said, I love my brother and I understand he's kinky and we have a lot of the same friends, but I don't want to see my, my brother play with his partner. And vice versa. Her brother obviously didn't want to see his sister play with her partner. So they would do things where they would go to an event and the upper floor was his play space and the lower floor was her play space. Or they would use the bottom floor as the non-play space that they hung out in and they would take turns going upstairs to play with their partners. This is things that you can do with your metamorph. There is no expectation that you and your metamorph have to even really be friends. You just have to be civil and friendly. And what you want to see as far as your partner's interactions is really up to you. There are folks who never meet their metamors because they don't want to see those interactions. But you have to understand that with each one of those desires to not spend time with your metamor and to not want to work through that, that's also compromise that's going to happen on your end where you may not get as much time as you want. Okay, so to dive into the other questions that you have, which is, do you think someone can be polysaturated with only one partner? And if so, do you have any advice on how to deal with the need for multiple relationships? My partner has shared custody of his child from a previous relationship and works 12-hour shifts and often picks up extra shifts as well. Before he started dating my metamorph, I used to see him every evening during the week and spend the weekends with him, which matches the amount of time I would like to spend with my primary partner. He has expressed that he likes to spend that much time with me too, but that he also has a need for multiple partners. Because of his responsibilities and his now serious relationship, it is cutting down the amount of time that I see him. It seems unfair to me. What can I do when I think my partner is taking on too much? What could my partner do to fulfill his need for multiple relationships without having to cut back on ours? So there's a group of questions in there. And the first is, can you be polysaturated with one partner? And the answer is absolutely. We can definitely be polysaturated with one partner. There has been times in my life when I was just with Rigel and I had a lot going on between having a kiddo, being sick. Um, I went through a health period where I was sick all the time. And I really did not have the time and energy for other relationships or at least to seek out other relationships and to put as much time and effort into those relationships as I felt I would need for those relationships to be fulfilling. Now, that being said, your partner may feel that he doesn't need as much time with his 
other partner or with you or that he's okay with shared time. And even if he is saturated, having multiple partners may still be a need of his. This is sort of like, I'm super busy. I don't have time to sit down and make dinner, but I still have a need to eat food, right? So there's this need that your partner is having. And when you want to bring this up, you want to bring up things like if you do think that your partner is taking on too much by saying, hey, it seems like you're trying to juggle a lot. And is there anything I can do to help with those things? If you're looking for your partner to give you more time and to make those efforts, the best way to start that is by offering ways that you can help make more time for your partner. So maybe with him working all the extra shifts, things like that, maybe you could make meals to cut down on times with that. Maybe help with picking up his child from the other parent and driving so that way it cuts back on hours that he would have to do something like that. But if you can offer some space so that way the two of you can have more time together, it would be really helpful in that situation. As far as not cutting back on the time that your relationship is getting, that's a tricky question because anytime we add relationships, we add things to our life, we are taking away time. We may have infinite amount of love. We may have infinite amount of desire to have partners and wonderful people in our lives, but we only have so much time and energy. That is something that is limited. So there really isn't a way to add anything into our lives without it affecting some sort of time with something else. That being said, that's where things work a little better if you and your metamor can get along because that's time that he doesn't have to take away from either of you. That's time that he can spend with both of you. It's also helpful if you're willing to take on more as well to try to help balance these things. So again, going back to if you're seeing that there's a limited amount of time because of all of the things going on, trying to offer help with some of the things that are going on in his life can give you more time. So your last question is, since I listened to the breakup episode recently, I have a question. How do you handle a dyad breakup in a triad, especially if things don't end well? Say one person feels betrayed by the other or some other reason. How would that person handle their partner still seeing that other person? Or is there any situation where it would be a reasonable expectation for them to choose between the two? So it gets into a really negative space when we start to talk about choosing because that begins to be ultimatums and ultimatums tend to not end well in relationships. The only time there's a really a reasonable expectation that our partner is going to break up with somebody is if that person is abusive or is abusive to us or abusive to our partner Beyond that, beyond something egregious, there really isn't an, a, a reasonable time to say this person or me. Now, you can say, I am not okay with being with you if you're with this unhealthy person because it's affecting me and I'm leaving because of how it's affecting me. But if you're giving the ultimatum of I'm going 
or they're going. That's usually a very unhealthy ultimatum. The way you deal with that is this. You keep those relationships very separate. You let your partner know, I have very negative feelings towards this person. This is not somebody I want in my life. And my expectation is that you handle them, that you take on responsibility for being with this person and make it very clear that it is no longer your responsibility. So you are no longer responsible for entertaining this person, for making this person feel super, super welcome, et cetera, et cetera. That is now their sole responsibility. And from there, having a discussion around your boundaries. So maybe your boundary is you don't want to spend time with this person. So now there's going to have to be a conversation around where that person goes and hangs out when you're around your partner. And obviously you want to approach this from the standpoint of being honest with your partner about how you feel and not putting yourself in a position where you're doing injustice, but not doing things out of spite. Not, oh, I don't want this person to go somewhere simply because it would make me feel better that they're gone. And from there, the big thing that you want to work on is forgiveness. Even if you never plan to have this person in your life again, and that's fine. You can do that. And I don't want anything to do with this person. You still need to work on your own ability to forgive. We actually have a episode, I'll make sure that it's in the show notes, about the power of forgiveness. And I think that it would be a great episode for you to listen to because Even when we are moving past things and we make that decision not to have someone in our lives and and we recognize that they're not a good person for us to be around, it's still good for us to work on our ability to forgive them. All right. Our next question is from Crystal. My husband and I have been together for seven and a half years and married a year and a half. I know I was bisexual for many years. And his first threesome was with me and a mutual friend of ours that we hooked up with pretty regularly until she found a boyfriend and eventually got engaged. We decided to move forward with dating bisexual women. We have figured out we want to do a closed triad. We have dated a couple of girls, but I have found it hard to connect with strangers. We recently reconnected with a girl we've known for about two years, but she and my husband really have the uh, the connection, not so much she and I. There is a nine-year difference between her and I, and he's right in the middle. I like her, but I find her asking for things like coming over to the house or telling us how she wants more kids when we've only been out a couple of times. And I have already felt a little left behind or just plain left out. She and I are trying to go out separately to bond a little more, but I just don't really know how to do that. He really likes her, so I feel like I should give the relationship a better chance and not just call it yet. How do I identify these insecurities and communicate them in a way that is not hurtful to them? I've never been a jealous woman, and seeing my husband with a woman who I'm also attracted to is a huge turn-on for me. How do I know if this is actually jealousy? So Crystal, when it comes to being the responsible one or the fun one, something that we spend a lot of time talking to polyamorous folks who just recently started dating 
about is recognizing that there is different types of like sweat equity as well as excitement when it comes to relationships. So a relationship of a long period of time is going to have a lot more sweat equity, meaning we've had time and energy and memories and all these things that have gone into it. So there is a a difference there versus a relationship that's brand new, which might be more fun and more exciting. So the reality is, is that maybe there is some truth to that, but it doesn't actually matter. What matters is the value that you each give each other. And it seems like right now, the big problem that you're having is finding that value in the connection between her and you. And you're on the right track. Spending some quality time bonding separately is a good idea. And the best way to do that is to find common things that the two of you enjoy. Yes, you have a big age difference, but I'm pretty sure there's probably something that the two of you enjoy. So sit down. Do a little bit of conversations where you're asking what your favorite music is and what your favorite art is and activities and find the areas that you intersect. And that's really how you form healthy triads. You're talking about wanting to move forward with a closed triad. And the best way to make a closed triad and to have a closed triad is for each one of those people to be able to connect with each one of those people in their own unique way. Rigel, Amanda, and I have our triad, and we all connect in different ways. Rigel and Amanda, they like Buffy. I can't stand Buffy. Rigel and I, we really are, well, very, very sexually charged people. We like to have sex a lot. And we're also very competitive, so we like doing things where we can compete. That's not really, neither one of those things is Amanda's gig. And Amanda and I love doing parenting stuff. We like going to do the the bingo nights at the school, things like that, which Rigel would not be caught dead at if he didn't have to be there. So what I'm saying is, is if you are really trying to give this relationship the opportunity, the best thing you can do is spend some time with this person See if there is a natural connection between the two of you. Now, when it comes to insecurities and communicating them in a way that isn't hurtful, it's coming to the conversation saying, I've heard this and it is making me a little uneasy. I have questions about this thing. And with doing that, you're bringing it on yourself. You're saying, I have concerns I'm wondering about, and keeping it to yourself versus you seem like you're saying something that's not right or you're making me uncomfortable. So keep it to talking about yourself and what you're finding discomfort in. There's definitely some truth as far as people talking about kids a little too soon. There are some things that make us feel uneasy. They could even be red flags, not necessarily though, but they could be. So bringing it up and saying, I'm uncomfortable talking about these topics right now, I'm not feeling like this is the right time, is a fair way to talk about things without hurting your partners, without coming up with ways of saying it that sound accusing. If you're putting it on yourself, it's saying, I'm uncomfortable, and opening the discussion for why that is making you uncomfortable. 
So how do you know if something is just jealousy or isn't just jealousy? That's a little bit of a difficult one because jealousy is many things. And when we're discussing jealousy, what we really need to do is take a look at what we're feeling and what's going on. Is there something that you're not getting? Is there something that needs to change? And if the answers are your partners aren't doing anything wrong, there isn't anything that needs to change, then that's something that you need to work on with yourself. If it's something where you have a need or a desire or there's something that you need changing, well, then that's a conversation you need to have with your partners. So regardless of if it's just jealousy or if it's not jealousy is really kind of irrelevant. The question is, is there something that needs to change or isn't there? And if there is, is that a conversation that you need to have with your partners? Okay, so next question from Greta. I've been dating someone for a few months who has recently told me that he thinks he's asexual. We are both relatively new to kink, but I have a super high sex drive and want to try everything I'm interested in. But he doesn't seem to be enjoying sex as much as I am and doesn't really want to try things. And I'm also worried it's a lot to do with his confidence. We've always discussed being in an open relationship or poly and recently decided this might be a good way forward. But as I am not getting my needs met in a sexual way in this relationship, we also both know he has a lot of inner work to do around his sexuality. Is this the best time to open up our relationship when it isn't completely solid? I'm worried that by becoming poly, I'd be limiting my dating pool to people available for a primary relationship, but I don't want to have to lose him as we care about each other so much, just so that I can find a primary relationship where my sexual needs are met. So there's a couple of things with what you sent in. And the first is, is it a good time to open things up if the two of you are having problems? When I talk to folks who enter into our MOR program, I often talk to them about the fact that you can work on your relationship and open your relationship parallel to each other. They are not exclusive. You don't have to do one and not the other. It's not, oh, we're opening things and now not working on our relationship, or we're working on our relationship and we can't open it until it's fixed. You want to make sure that the two of you are on good footing, meaning that you know that things have stabilized and that you're not going to break up if there's any small conflict or small bump in the road. You want to be in a healthy enough place that you know that the two of you are able to withstand turbulence. You also want to be in a place where you're having good communication. If the two of you are not able to communicate, not able to talk, that is not going to get better by opening your relationship. So you want to make sure those things are grounded first. But if you are able to communicate, your communication is good, the two of you are having difficulty around sex and around getting those needs met, but you're able to deal with other things in your relationship fine and other things in your relationship are going well, then this might be a time to try opening things up slowly and giving that a shot. 
This doesn't mean that you have to toss the idea of this being your primary relationship to the side. You may find that you don't need a primary sexual partner or a primary that is a sexual partner for that matter. The great thing about being polyamorous is that we can form our relationships in any way that works best for us and the people who are in them with us. It's all about negotiation and finding those relationships that work for us and the other person involved. What I do suggest is that regardless of if you do or don't open your relationship, that the two of you do work on your mismatched sex drives. Our partner, Amanda, is asexual. We don't have sex very often. I still question how I ended up having a primary partner who doesn't really have sex. I'm a super horny person. How in the heck did this happen? Well, I love her. And we intersect in many ways romantically that make us really, really great primary partners. But I do lack the sexual end of things, right? But even with that, we work towards making sure that whatever connections can happen do happen. So even though I've accepted that Amanda is asexual, that is who she is, it probably isn't something that is going to change. And that is something I've accepted, but I, we still work towards bridging that, meaning having conversations around what it is she does enjoy doing when she enjoys doing it. And trying things that she is open to trying, even if they're not things that she's super, super excited about, she still gives things a try that she's open to. And we try to bridge that. One of the ways is by using our desire map. I will link to that in the show notes. I strongly suggest taking a look at that. It's our tool for helping to navigate mismatched libidos. We also have a podcast episode called called Bridging the Desire Gap that I'll link to as well. I think the two of you should sit down and really take a listen to that. But when it comes to opening your relationship, it really comes down to, are you in a healthy enough place to do so? And if so, then going out and finding partners that match what you're looking for. And that doesn't mean having to choose between this relationship and another primary relationship that'll be sexual. You can have your cake and eat it too in polyamory. You just have to also find the folks who are looking for the same things you are. All right. Next question is from Dan, 41, Washington. I'm in a long distance relationship with my girlfriend, E. I've been open from the very beginning, our very first chat, that I'm Polly. Our relationship started as a friends with benefits situation that her and her husband arranged for us. Two years into our relationship, she is divorcing her husband, and we've been making plans to move in and live together in the summer. I have another long-distance relationship with another woman, R, that lives even further away from me. I've only seen her in person three times, but we do stay connected regularly through frequent calls, texts, and video chats. Both women are aware of each other, and I care for both of them. This arrangement has been working very well until recently. Now that E and I are working towards living together, she is having a hard time with R being in my life. 
She feels like she is more monogamous than she thought when this all started. This is unfortunate because R and I are planning to try to meet up more frequently now that we both are doing financially better. So what it sounds like to me, Dan, is that E is having a really hard time with adjusting to the new living situation that's coming and with the idea of the relationship between you and R growing. Perhaps before when you and R didn't really see each other, it didn't seem as scary. And really the way to deal with this situation is by really talking to E about what her concerns are, what it is that she needs. She had mentioned that she was maybe more monogamous than she originally thought she was. Ask her what that means. Ask her what that means to her. Maybe that means that she needs more time, and maybe that means that she wants to spend more physical time being uh, intimate with each other. But really figure out what that monogamous means to her. And see if there's ways that the two of you can talk about this in a way where she's feeling that she is getting those needs met. And if after having those conversations, this is something where the two of you feel like you're really, really struggling, especially once you move in together, you want to try to get this handled before the summer, obviously. Have these conversations. Ask her how you can make her feel good about the relationship and what would help her to feel like she's getting what she needs out of the relationship with the two of you. But if you're finding, particularly when you're getting close to moving in or if she does move in, that things escalate and get worse, this would be a time to definitely reach out and talk to somebody and get an outside perspective and maybe even come up with a plan. And so I recommend that maybe not right this minute, have those first initial conversations, see where it goes. But if you're hitting a hard place, reach out and set up a call with our team. You can do so at a touch of flavor forward slash call. Uh, I'll put that in the show notes. But if this is something where you're really hitting a roadblock, this might be a time to reach out and get a little extra help. Because what it seems like is that E is really going to have to work towards figuring out what it is that she is looking for as far as this relationship and what that means and how the two of you can have a path moving forward with knowing that you are polyamorous and that this isn't something that's going to change. Okay, so next question. We didn't actually get a name. We just got the question that came in. So I'm going to answer it. This is going to be fun. The question is, do you have an OPP? Referring to Rigel and myself. For those of you who don't know, a OPP is a one penis policy. And uh, typically speaking, the way this is set up is you have a cis couple where there is this cis woman and the cis man, and they are open to dating women together, or maybe even she's allowed to date separately, but she is only allowed to date other cis women, meaning that one penis is how it is. He can date 
however many women he wants, and she can date however many women she wants, but he's the only man that can be in the picture. So the issue with one penis policy is that it's rooted in a lot of misogyny and also with the idea that women-to-women relationships are somehow less than because there isn't a penis involved. And I'm not going to go down too much of a rabbit hole of why this is ridiculous thinking. First of all, I have a bigger penis than any biological penis haver I've ever met. It doesn't matter if it's a biological penis, it's still a penis. Lesbians can have just as wonderful of relationships and connections and sex as uh, <laughs> as men who have penises can. So I'm not going to spend a lot of time with that because it's just ridiculous. But the issue with one penis policy is that it really has that perspective that relationships between vagina havers together are not as worthy as someone who has a penis. Now, do Rigel and I have a one penis policy? Probably from my answer of how uh, I feel about it is, is coming through, but the answer is no, we don't have a one penis policy. I just have not found too many penis havers that I am attracted and connected with. That's just how things have fallen. Over the years, I have had a few play partners. I've had a few partners who were cisgender men or penis havers, and uh, they were good relationships, fun relationships. But primarily, I tend to be attracted to cis women or trans men. It just happens to be that that's the way Uh, It falls, or non-binary folks. Um, I'm not really attracted to too many six men. That's just my preference. Uh, But we don't have one in place. There isn't a hard, fast rule. It's just kind of the way it's fallen. And our last question of the day, James, 33, from New York. I am a first-time master. My wife and I have been together for 14 years. While not new to my wife or kink, we just started our MS relationship a little over a year ago. I'm not sure how to handle her being on her cycle and our MS. I'm wondering how strict or not strict I should be with my sub during the time of the month. Should I be more lenient on our protocols and rules or should I not change anything at all? My wife complains that she is in a bunch of pain and that she experiences a huge amount of fatigue when she's on her cycle. While I am sympathetic, I don't know if it's a legitimate reason to let things slide. Cassie, your insight as a female dom would be greatly appreciated. Thank you in advance. Okay, James. So this is a fair question. As someone who may never have had a vagina or a menstrual cycle, you may not understand how it affects your wife. And that's fair. So as a a female dom, I'll give you a little insight as far as how I interact with my submissives who go through having a monthly cycle. There's a couple of things to keep in mind. One is, is she experiencing pain and exhaustion? And your wife has expressed that. Different women have different levels of pain and different levels of bleeding. This is 
not a one-size-fits-all <laughs> vagina havers situation. So talking to your wife about her cycle and having an open conversation about what the pain levels are and the bleeding would be really helpful. Also, you may find out that there's certain days that are worse than others. For instance, my menstrual cycle, when I have one, is uh, really, really bad the second, third, and fourth day. The first day, not so bad. The fifth and sixth day, fine. I have a six-day cycle. Some people only have a three-day cycle, and it's fine the whole time. But I have three very, very heavy days to the point of I will, not to be gross to everybody who's listening in, but to the point where I may get up and literally have blood gushing down my legs. I look like somebody stabbed me in the stomach. So whereas I've had partners who uh, they don't really bleed that much, you know, they, they, they could, you know, not really have to worry about that at all. So the point is talk to your wife, really get a good idea of how this is physically affecting her. Now, when it comes to protocols, there's different kinds of protocols, obviously. If you're talking about sexual protocols, ones where your wife has to undress or do something sexual or perform, those might be things that you may want to change those protocols during a couple of days of her menstrual. If it's something where you have protocols like texting you good morning or giving you a call midday at lunch, well, obviously her menstrual is not affecting those things. You can still keep those protocols in place. There's probably a few protocols that actually need to be changed. And my suggestion is this, be lenient, decide to change them. But actually, if you're working on your power exchange, make it an intentional decision. Don't have it be something where you are just being lenient and letting it be like, well, let me know how it goes, et cetera, et cetera. But saying during your menstrual, we don't do this protocol. During your menstrual, we don't do this activity. And that way it's a decision versus sort of a, an up and down sort of thing. And she can let you know where she's at on her cycle. Like I just started, it hasn't happened yet. So this is where I'm at or it's ended for the most part. And then we can begin, but make that as an intentional thing. And this really comes down to understanding that as masters, we are still in service to our partners. We are still in service to uh, our submissives. And our job is to take care of them above everything else, above uh, being a dom le dom. Our, our job is to take care of our submissives. And if your wife is in pain, if she's not feeling well, the best way you can take care of her is by not making her more uncomfortable and not putting her in a position that is making her not feel well or do well. So in that case, the best way she can serve you is by feeling better and what you want to do is be the best dom by telling her to do that. We actually have a whole episode on healthy power exchange, and I recommend going and taking a listen to that. I'll make sure that it's linked to you in the show notes. All right, folks, it was amazing being able to answer your questions. We always look forward to them. Make sure you send more in. Uh, we always get them in batches, and we love getting your questions. 
And if you can, call in. We love those even more. Until next time, have fun, be safe. Thanks for listening to the Touch of Flavor podcast, where we're building relationships outside of the box. Got a question about kink, power exchange, or open relationships that you've been holding on to for years? This is the place to ask it. Submit your question at atouchofflavor.com slash ask, or leave us a voicemail at 833-ASK-TOF1. 